Welcome to the Columbus Citadel podcast. We hope this to be a long-lasting wealth of fellowship and biblical knowledge for our community. Listen to Envoy Van Worth share what God has placed on his heart about the fruit of the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So on the program it said, bearing his fruit. The slide said, bearing his fruit. So we're going to talk this morning about the fruit of his love. I mentioned in last week's sermon about the fruit, and I kind of gave a, a hint that I had a particular perspective. And we're going to kind of go that way this morning. I want to challenge your thinking, perhaps open your mind to new concepts. Um, this is going to be interrupted, as I said, because of... Uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we'll have sermons appropriate for those times of the year, and we'll come back to this. Uh, but I want to go through this, and I want to look at it, because if, if anything, what is a true manifestation of, a, of God in a Christian's life is the fruit of the Spirit. There's a story that was in Sunshine Magazine. Sunshine Magazine, it was a little 42-page usually, a little magazine, kind of like a Reader's Digest. It was filled with uh, interesting articles, uh, uh, some uh, humorous things. And this particular story was in that magazine about a uh, psychology professor who illustrated how difficult it was to love others. Although he had no children of his own, wherever you saw a neighbor scolding a child for some wrongdoing, this psychologist would say, now, 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 you should love that boy and not punish him. So one hot summer afternoon, the professor was out doing some work on his concrete driveway that was leading to his garage. Tired out after several hours of work, he laid down the trowel, wiped the perspiration from his forehead, started heading toward the house. When out of the corner of his eye, he saw a mischievous young boy, and having the young boys that we have here, that word mischievous is well understood by you, I am sure, saw out of the corner of his eye a mischievous young boy who put his foot into the fresh, wet cement that he had just troweled. Well, shot right over there, grabbed that boy, and was about to give him a severe spanking when across the way the neighbor leaned out the window and said, watch it, professor! Don't you remember? You must love the child. To which the professor yelled back, I do love him in the abstract, but not in the concrete. <laughs> I love that story. When God tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, he wants it to be and wants us to understand it in the concrete where the rubber meets the road. He isn't just telling it because it sounds nice, because he wants us to give some unreachable goal. He gives this to us for reason and a purpose. This is part of the very fabric of what is of his being, and he wants it to be of our being, a demonstration of genuine love one to another. Now, in the front of your program, you look and you see the fruit of the Spirit are listed there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, to which Paul says, against such there is no law. This is how we are to be. You know, I looked at this uh, some years ago, and uh, when I say some years, we're talking the better part of probably 20 plus years. And all of a sudden, it cross-referenced it with another section of scripture. 
1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And when I cross-reference these with some of those traits of the fruit of the Spirit, I can find just about every one of those fruit in this verse. And the, and the thought came to me as this. And this is what I'll throw out to you this morning and challenge your thinking on. Is it because the fruit is singular? It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit. And it has been suggested and usually is a uh, adopted by many that all these nine traits are what represent the fruit to which I am more and more inclined to believe personally and this thought is unique with me though I'm sure it's not unique that the actual fruit of the spirit is love and that out of love when we have God's perfect love then joy comes because of that perfect love peace comes patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control all pour from the perfect love of God now, am I right about that? I don't know. I think I am. There's a sign in my office. If you ever come in, you may notice that it says, I'd agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. And I just love that sign. I saw it a long time ago, and my wife, and I laughed so hard at it, my wife bought it for me. I think she's sorry that she did. I don't know, but I, it, it just when I look at God's word, let me throw another verse of scripture to us besides 1 Corinthians. How about this one that simply says in 1 John 4, 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God. Here is a definition of God. For God is love. It is powerful. Literally in the Greek, theos esti agape. Now don't be impressed with that because I had to practice it. I, I can read Greek somewhat because I've studied it. I love the language. But it's still it's a challenge to me. But it's a beautiful language. And translated literally, God is unconditional. We know that word agape, love. Now, in the Greek, there are four types of love. The Greek were very specific in their language. There are fewer words in the Greek language than there are in the English language. Part of that is that the English language keeps growing and moving because new things are always coming in uh, with new technology, uh, new diseases. We keep adding to the dictionary. I read an article one time, and I forget how many words per year we add to our English language, but it just keeps, the vocabulary keeps growing. The Greek's not so much that way. Very limited, but very specific in its language. Uh, the four kinds of love that it talks about, it talks about eros. We know that one, erotic we get, passionate sexual love. This one may not be so familiar to you, storge. It's a family love and devotion. Philia, we know is friendship and affection. Philadelphia, the, what is that? The city of what? Brotherly love. And then the one we know perhaps the best, agape, which is a deep care and a deep concern. Now this is a love that doesn't just love because of, it loves in spite of. We are really good at loving because of. Loving in spite of can be the challenge, can't it? But this is the love that God wants us to have. He wants us to be that way when we're traveling 71 south, needing to go over to 70 west, get across, or 70 east, rather, heading to Wheeling, to cut across, to make that quick cut across, and there's a guy there that won't let us through, and we're not having loving thoughts towards him at that point. God says he wants us to. He wants us to remember that Christ died for that person. 
wants us to remember that even though they're really ticking us off and they're really wrong, and he was, to still have love for that person. So to get a better understanding of love, we're going to look at a few verses of Scripture here. It's uh, back to 1 John 4, and it's uh, verses 7 through 16. Now, I put scriptures up here all the time. I encourage you to mark in your Bible because this is how we learn. This is how we grow. I think nothing is more sad than when a person calls out a a book of the Bible and the person has no idea where it's at. Uh, I'll understand if you can't find Nahum right away. That's a little book that's hidden in that Old Testament. But, you know, we need to have an idea of where things are. So I really encourage you to look into your word. Uh, As the Gaither sang at one time, I hear you're getting into the word, but is the word getting into you? It may be the case. So let's look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now, there are at least three steps that are need to be taken here to have this fruit put into action. And so let's go quickly through them this morning. Step number one, we need to accept God's love for us. Uh, some people have trouble doing that. Some Because of what has gone on in their family, how they've been raised, some people have a hard time thinking that anybody could love them. If you recall, uh, it's been a few sermons ago, I shared with you from one of the adult rehabilitation centers we had the privilege of serving, and a fellow by the name of Stanley, when we talked about him going out, and, and he was afraid, and I said, why? And he said, look at me, who would ever hire me? because of how he looked and how he saw himself physically. Stanley had a hard time loving himself and caring about himself. And if you do, it's going to be hard to believe that anyone else could. Is it any wonder um, when Jesus gives us in the command, you should love your neighbor how? As yourself. Folks, if you don't love yourself, how can you love the neighbor? I usually think when people are grouchy with me that they have a hard time loving themselves. Because if they can't love me, (laughs) I am just so doggone lovable. I'm a great guy. I'm lacking a little in humility, but God's working on me with me on that. But if you can't love your neighbor, how can you love yourself, you see? And that's what this kind of boils down to. It's important for us to understand that God loves us and to have that understanding and have that confidence in us. There's a story that's among, I have a lot of favorite stories, but it's a minister who uh, had put out to his congregation that, hey, 
during the week. If you have any questions about the scriptures, any problem, you come, you talk with me. I'll be willing to sit with you, help you, see what I can't do for you. Well, a church member came in, only one throughout the whole week, and, and the pastor was elated that he came. And he said, so how can I help you? He goes, well, pastor, I just, I, I have a problem with the verse in the Bible. And so the pastor said, well, what is the verse? And he says, well, it's in Romans chapter 9. It's where God says, Jacob I have law, loved, but Esau I have hated. And he goes, that's just such a hard verse, to which the pastor listened dutifully and nodded his head, yes, yes, that is a hard verse. What part of the verse is hard for you? And the man looked at the pastor somewhat incredulously and said, well, that last part, hating Esau, to which the pastor responded, you know, the hard part for me has always been that first part. I don't understand how God could love such a scoundrel like Jacob. Look back over our lives, folks. We have not lived perfect lives, have we? I would guess that very few, if any of us, want that closet to be opened up and all those skeletons come out about how we've been in our past, what we've done. I love the saying that says, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? God never sucks wind. What do I mean by that? How many times in your life have you gone, oh, and brought in that wind? God never does that. We do it in surprise. Oh, you know, catch a fly in your mouth, swallow it that way, doing that. God never does that. Why? Because there's nothing that is new to him, nothing that you can inform him that surprises him. God knows about us. The last song we talked about it, and he still cares. He loves us deeply, passionately. And if you have any doubts about that, let's go right down and back into 1 John. Verses 8 and 16 give us the stage. God is love. When it comes to that unconditional love, it says in verse 7, that comes from God. In verse 9, God showed his love among us, it says. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Verse 11, God so loved us. Verse 12, his love is made complete in us. In verse 16, we know and rely on the love God has for us. Folks, can I say to you this morning, God loves you. What a great concept. Let us not take it for granted, but let us not dismiss it either. He cares deeply, passionately for each and every one of us, and he knows us by our name. So then, okay, we accept God's love for us. What now? Well, we need to see God's love in action. In his book, Make Your Life Worthwhile, Richard Armstrong reports the story about a man in Wales who sought to win the affection of a woman. At age 32, they had a little bit of a spat, and she no longer would talk with him. At age 32. The man... For 42 years. Let me say it again, because when I'm reading this, I'm going, no. Really? 42 years. Pursued her. Wrote her 2,184 love letters. For 40, let me say it again, two years. At age 70, 74, he finally worked up the courage, went and knocked on the door and said, will you marry me? She said yes. And they walked down the aisle together. 
Now, folks, I have to tell you, I love my wife. And I'd have pursued her for quite some time. I don't know if it would have been 42 years that I'd be doing that, though. But this man would not give up. He was convinced this was the person God had for him. And his love would not be quenched or quelched. When we look at the Bible, we see God's love in action for us. And again, coming back to 1 John, demonstrated three different ways. In verse 9, it says, He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. That's history. From an historical perspective, God brought Christ into us so that the love that he had for us, pardon me, <coughs> that tickle needed to be tickled. Um, that love that he has for us might be made manifest, might be shown. But secondly, he sent his son in 10th verse as an atoning sacrifice. That's sacrificially. And we know how much he loved us. Paul told the church at Rome, he said, God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But it is in verse 14 that we see he sent his son to be the savior of the world. He could not be the Savior if he was not the sacrifice. The two have to go hand in hand. A person who shows up to a drowning man in the water, but refuses to reach out to him in some way, and in some instances get in the water with him, cannot be that person's Savior. They can give him all sorts of words of encouragement, can tell him all sorts of good things, but until they take some kind of definitive action, and in some instances even be willing to put their life on the line for it, they really can't be the person who's going to provide the salvation for the life of that person. They've got to get involved. God got involved with us. We were drowning. And his action was immediate. How immediate? It was all the way back in Genesis. The promise for a Messiah, the promise for a deliverer was right as the sin happened, God provided the solution. It would take time for it to come to fruition, but God did not stop. He did not relent. He did not turn away. When surely people caused him good reason to. We read in the scriptures of how the temple came into Israel, first as a temporary thing under David's guidance, and then Solomon builds the permanent temple. But at some point, the people who constantly sinned before God constantly turned their back on him. There is a terrible verse in the scriptures where it says, in the presence of God left the temple. God did not give up on people, though. He sought to make a more permanent and intimate temple and today we know that to be right here in our hearts that's where he wants to be that's where he wants to reside that's where he wants to take up residency so there is no question about the action so what does this mean again talking about the fruit of love and everything that's going to come because of this fruit into us well here's where that concrete concept comes in because lastly, we want to make God's love our love. In verse 7, we see the phrase, love one another. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It is a love that is unlike any other love. Going back to those three other loves, 
we understand that they are born out of emotion. Um, eros, stego, philia, all are tied in to emotion. You see a beautiful woman, a handsome man, and we go, oh, they get our attention. We have a family member come who, we, oh, hey, how are you? Again, there's that emotion. With agape love, it is not emotion. It is a love that is commanded. Now, folks, I'm going to throw this one out at you. Because when it comes to marriage, people often live in the first three categories and not the fourth. And that's where God wants us, even in marriage. How many times have we heard it said, a person, oh, I just don't love him anymore. I just don't love her anymore. I fell out of love. It's not the same person. But the agape love doesn't take that into account. Agape love says, I choose to love you, even if you're unlovable. Let me tell you, my wife looks at me when I'm sleeping with my mouth open, the drool coming out. I'm just a handsome sight. And she still loves me. She gives me a hard shove to wake me up so the mouth will close, the drool will stop, and the snoring will quit. But she, her love for me has not diminished at all. As a matter of fact, our love has grown over the years for each other. Why? Because it's not a love that is born out of the three. It's into the one factor now. It's that unconditional. And it's the same love we're to have for each other. Let's face it, folks, in here we tick each other off every so often, don't we? Oh, yeah. It happens. And it's okay. And it's okay to be upset with somebody over something, especially if it's something that they did, you know. And in love, we go over and we talk with them about it, and we seek to make it right and get it to be where it needs to be. Because we don't, even though we're upset, the love doesn't change. That's where God wants us to be. That consistent loving towards each other, that's what John is talking about here. There are 16, and I counted them twice just to make sure, 16 times that the word love is used in this passage of scripture. And every single time, it is agape, agape, agape. And here's something I don't think I mentioned at the beginning, which I meant to. During the Greek era, only the first three types of love were ever used. Agape love was never mentioned hardly at all. It's only until the New Testament comes around, only until Jesus appears, that all of a sudden agape is starting to come out multiple times. Why? Because that's how God loves us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen, ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is the fruit that he wants us to have. Because God loves, we love. Because God's love is sacrificial, our love must be sacrificial. Because God's love is unconditional, our love too must be unconditional. 16 times, agape loves when love is not deserved. Agape loves without restrictions. It reaches out to meet the need wherever the need arises. Agape loves by choice 
and not by will. Not just by feeling and emotion. It is the only kind of love that can be commanded. Agape loves without counting the cost and without calculating its own profit. Agape loves the unlovable, expecting nothing in return. I'm going to close with an illustration that I came across years ago, and it's in my Bring Up File system uh, because it's just one of the most powerful illustrations. It has to do with a gal whom you've heard of, I'm, some of you anyway, I'm sure. Corey Tin Boom, does that name sound familiar? Corey Tin Boom, her, uh, she and her sister Betsy uh, worked with their father in Germany at a clock shop. Uh, they were part of the Underground Railroad, hiding Jews from the Nazis, protecting them. They were discovered. And because they were discovered, they were torn apart as a family. The father died in prison. Betsy and Corey went to a prison where eventually Betsy died there as well. Corey became released at one point. They were Christians during this, by the way. That's something important to know. So often we think being a Christian means God will protect me from pain and suffering. No, God will sometimes use us in the pain and suffering to affect his will. We have to have an understanding of that, folks. You know, it's that old country western song that maybe you remember, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. Along with the sunshine, there's going to be a little rain sometime. Well, in the Christian life, that's so true. But we are here when we get those opportunities to serve him, it is for his glory. And let me tell you, just like you heard at the very beginning with a love letter from God, can you imagine walking into heaven and have having, having the opportunity to serve him in such a way? It was years later, Corey has been released from the prison camp. She writes a book called The Hiding Place. And she is at a church event and signing copies of the book ever telling her a story and telling how God used her and, and brought many to Christ because of her family. And then I'm going to give you her words because of what happens. It was a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time, and suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming, and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who preached so often to the people at Blumendahl, the need to forgive, I kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me, help me to forgive this man. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth, of charity. And so again, I breathed this silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself.
It's a powerful story. An historical account, actually true. I wonder if this morning, if there's people in your lives that you don't have any love for. Every so often I have to reflect, there are people in my life that I have hard feelings towards, and I have to give that over to God every time. And every so often the devil, I think, tries to stir up in my brain some past memories. And I have to give those over to him and put them beneath the cross and ask the blood to come and cleanse me. I will not be that way. I, yeah, people have done me wrong, but I'm not going to hold it against them. Because if I do, then Jesus should hold my sins against me that he went and died for. I'm to love them. That's what true forgiveness is about. That's what this fruit is, isn't it? This fruit of love. I am to not keep this within. I am to let God go into my heart and plant that seed. But I have to be willing to open my heart, allow him to till up the ground a little bit, allow him to plant it deep, and then nourish it every day, reading his word, spending time with him. And when I do these things, this love grows and is part of my life and then pours out of me. And it no longer stays within me. It reaches out to others. May it be so among us. As we engage into this fruit of the Spirit, I strongly suggest to you this morning that the fruit is love. And that everything that's going to pour out is from that perfect love. So if that perfect love is not there to start with, then everything that comes out will not be perfect. Cannot be. The peace, the goodness, the gentleness, the self-control, all of those things, it all starts first with having the perfect love of God in my heart. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this morning, as we embark upon this series, may we truly, Lord, open our hearts to you this day and look in your word and Use it as a mirror that we might see ourselves completely before you, warts and all. It's painful to look when we may have areas in our life that need addressing. But Father, your desire for us is to have your perfect love overshadow us, fill us, consume us. We heard this morning from your word how much you love us. May that love flow in and through us so that your love can be shown to others because this world has so many people in it who do not know of your love, truly. And you would have us be a conduit that your love could flow through. Heavenly Father, may we truly desire this morning to be all that you have made us to be this day. Now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'll ask Mark to come to the piano for just a moment. Play whatever is on his heart. This concludes our podcast. All questions and comments are welcome either on our Facebook page or at our location on Carl Road. If you're willing, please take time to pray for us, the body of Christ, as we pursue holiness and God's will for Columbus. God bless.